This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. So the Bucks now have a three-way tie in the NFC South with Carolina and, yes, your New Orleans Saints. The Falcons, the only team to lose in that division, 32-6. to six, They fell to the not-so-good Philadelphia Eagles. I was shocked by that. We're going to get to all the NFL games, including Jameis Winston's starting debut in the Saints, in which he threw five touchdown passes to Barry Aaron Rodgers and the Packers by 35. Just incredible. Lots of NFL news, of course, college football Florida USF and woof what happened to Florida State and Jacksonville State goodness gracious some uh, disparaging losses and words up in Tallahassee but first we'll start with the Bucks. and uh, since we last uh, were with you we had a chance to talk to Bruce Arians about their victory of course Thursday night over the Dallas Cowboys some interesting things uh, I thought that he said and some things you can glean just from the snap counts and things like that when we go back and, and sort of do the the post-mortem on this game. I thought it was interesting. Steve Bursnick, uh, Ronald Jones uh, was running the ball pretty well. I think he had like four carries, and then the fumble occurred. And then he stayed on the bench the rest of the night, and Leonard Fournette got all the snaps. And when we asked Bruce Arians why that was, like if it was a form of punishment, which has happened before with Ronald Jones, he said no. He said uh, he just couldn't come back from that fumble mentally. So what does that mean <laughs> exactly? That's not what you want to hear about your RB1. Yeah. I mean, you know, turnovers are going to have – it was a bad turnover, and, and you don't want it, but you've got to be able to bounce back from that. And, and whether you – know, I, I don't know what it means. I, I don't think it's a good thing for the Bucks at this point. But it doesn't mean it's not something that can't be overcome, and he can start this week, of course. I mean, you got the couple extra days off over the weekend. Players, what, aren't reporting back till what, Tuesday, I think? Tuesday, yeah, they've so, been up a while. Yeah, so you know you've got some time to whatever mentally get over that, or you know move on in your head. But that's not what you want to hear your coach say about your your top running, but your starting running back. Yeah, Leonard Fournette, if you, as you recall, he also had a bad play. They had a ball bounce off his hands and, and into uh, uh, you know into into defender's hands for an interception that was clearly on him. One of the two interceptions that Brady threw. The other one was a hail mary. Um, they didn't. They didn't bench him. Now this happened last year, where Rojo had a fumble in a game, and then he came back and he played against Carolina. He had another fumble on a pass that he uh, lost, and he stayed in that game. Came back and had a 98-yard run. And we asked Arians then. I specifically remember this. Like, what was the difference? And he said, "Well, because he came off the field, and I could tell that um, he was in a good place, and uh, he was raring to go, and he handled it much better. And so we put him right back in the game. So." I don't know if Bruce is is uh, you know real adept at reading body language or or whatnot. There's a couple shots of him on the bench where he was you know obviously he was despondent. I mean he didn't feel good about 
turning the ball over and it resulting in a touchdown or whatnot. So, um, but there, there were look. They had four turnovers in this game, and when you go back and really look at it, the Bucks had no business winning with four turnovers and eleven penalties for one hundred and ten yards. That's I mean, still the amazing thing to me of that game: four turnovers yeah. and you won the game. Yeah, is everyone was talking three. about how great Dak Prescott was, and he per, he performed much better than I thought he would coming back from that mm-hmm. injury in the first time. But yeah. the story of the game was the Bucks turned the ball over four times, eleven penalties, and still won the game. Right, and then that's just not supposed to happen. And so, I sort of credit, you know, a, a team finding finding its way how to win. I mean, obviously, great Brady's the best winner that's ever existed in the NFL. And if you leave time on the clock for him, then clearly he's going to bury you, and he did. There's some controversial plays, you know, the the pass to Godwin um, late in the game that set up the field goal could have been called offensive pass interference, you know, because he kind of arm barred the guy, but they let that go. Uh, you know, and look, uh, there there was a couple defensive plays. You know, they had all these injuries with Sean Murphy Bunting. We'll get to his situation, but you know, a guy like Andrew Adams, who had been here all of a week, he was their safety backup safety for a couple of years. Uh, tried free agency, signed with the Philadelphia Eagles, and got cut. And he came into town uh, just a week or so ago. Of course, he knew the system, he knew the defense. He found himself out there playing. Jordan Whitehead couldn't start, obviously. They had a couple other injuries with Sean Murphy bunting. And he makes an open field tackle on Ezekiel Elliott on a pitch play where he has to beat, has to defeat the tight end who's out there blocking him. And it's just him. It's just one-on-one. If the tight end makes a better block uh, or if Andrew Adams doesn't make a great open field tackle on Ezekiel Elliott, he's walking in the end zone. And that's a touchdown, and that's the difference in the game. Holds him to a field goal there. So they got contributions from a lot of guys, although I don't think the news is particularly good on Sean Murphy Bunting. If there is a positive, it's that they don't think it's season-ending, but that doesn't mean it's not season-altering because, uh, frankly, they don't know how many weeks he's going to be out. He had the MRI. There's not been really much uh, progress in terms of, like, getting a prognosis. You know, is it three weeks? Is it four weeks? I think it's going to be longer, uh, personally, than than just a month. Uh, We'll see. Um, kind of swapped some messages with Sean Murphy Bunting, who said that they just don't know yet that they they you know they're not able to get enough information from the MRI. A lot of times there's swelling and things involved that preclude you from really getting a good picture uh, of the situation. But he did dislocate his elbow; it's obviously popped back in now. But but you know that means that Jamel Dean is going to be on the spot, and they picked on Jamel Dean. And, and I thought also, and we talked to Bruce about this, and I wrote about it in Sunday's Tampa Bay Times and on TampaBay.com. Look, I'm not saying uh, when I wrote this that that's it, everybody's going to beat the Bucks this way. But as Bruce Arians noted and agreed with me, if you notice what the game plan was, it was very similar to the Rams a year ago. I mean, all they did was they were not going to run the football very effectively. They basically abandoned much effort doing it. Uh, they were going to try to stay away from the center of their defense, which is the strength of the Bucks' defense, those two defensive tackles, the two inside linebackers. Um, you know, the secondary is sort of their weakness if they had one. So all Dak Prescott did all night was flip the ball out to the perimeter and make the corners, you know, come up and make tackles, which is something they don't want to do. They they want to pay, play pass defense. And they were pressuring them with screens, you know, tons of bubble screens and receiver screens. And as Bruce Arian said to me, he goes, look, if we don't get it stopped, we're just going to see screen after screen after screen. And that's what the Rams did. The Rams came in here a year ago. They didn't try to run the football at all. 
I mean, you know, I, I think that at that time, Jared Goff threw it 50-something times as well. And you wouldn't have expected Dak Prescott coming off the foot injury and all of that and not having played in the preseason to drop back and throw it almost 60 times. But that was the game plan, and it worked until they got to the red zone. And that's where Bruce says, and he's right, that in situational football like red zone, the Bucks beat them. The Bucks beat them, uh, held them to field goals. They missed one. Obviously, they missed an extra point. That certainly changed, you know, the game when you when you win by two, um, and so they were really better in those situations than the Bears were, or, or the Bears than the uh, than Dallas was. So I I just think that they're they're going to have an issue in the secondary, and Jamel Dean, who got picked on, is going to have to play bigger. Uh, I think if they get Jordan Whitehead back, and Bruce said he was ninety percent recovered from that hamstring injury, so if he's able to play, that gives him some flexibility because. Mm-hmm. Then you could play Mike Edwards in the slot. You could play Ross Cockrell in the slot if you want to. So you have a little bit more flexibility. But it's going to be something to watch, even though I don't think this week is going to be as difficult because they play the Falcons. Yeah, and, and, you know, look, there's a reason you have to be able to run the ball in the red zone. Mm-hmm. Those That secondary has a lot less ground to cover. Yes. When, when yes. there's only 20 or less yards left in the field, mm-hmm. which yep. means, you know, while you could pick on Jamel Dean and many others going up and down the field, the closer you get to that goal line, the less field they've There's got to a lot cover. More people, and, yeah. and without mm-hmm. a run game, it's tough. It's still going to be tough to to score on the Bucks score. if if their mm-hmm. guys are doing what they're supposed to do. Um, yeah, right. I believe Whitehead coming back will make a big difference in that secondary uh, because it does gives you a lot more options to move guys around. Um, yep. You know, being without Sean Murphy, Bunting, and Whitehead in that game really hurt. Yeah. No, it definitely did. And um, they got a week to figure that out. And if Whitehead comes back, that'll help them. There were some guys that went unsung in this game. I'll be writing about one of them is Vita Vea. Vita Vea did not record a stat that I could detect, at least on the final game sheet. And I'm, yeah, I'm here to tell you that he was probably their most dominant player on defense. This guy pushed the pocket so many times into Dak's lap. And Dak got the ball off most of those times, but he had to turn down throws. Um, simply because he didn't have time to look down the field. And um, he drew a holding penalty, which was critical in that game. Uh, he got some hits on the quarterback as well. But if you watch if you watch the power that he plays with and the quickness and the technique as a pass rusher, not just a run stopper, but his ability to get upfield, it's really impressive. And he's one of those guys that, you know, it's the old saying, um, if you watch the football, you miss the game. Well, if you don't watch Vita Vea on every play, you've missed the really the, the most dominant player uh, that they had on defense, at least last Thursday night. He was really impressive, and I'm, I'm pretty excited to see what this guy could do in a 17-game season. Um, you know, everybody talks about Aaron Donald, and, and he's a terrific player and player of the year and all that stuff. Aaron Donald doesn't play the run like Vita Vea, and um, he's a better pass rusher, obviously. He's had you know 20-something sacks a season at, at times, so you give him that, and he's totally different body type and all of that. But you have to block. You have to use two guys on Vita Vea. You have to, you have to double-team him on every play. Uh, and when you do that, you know, Sue might get singled up. Sometimes they double both those guys, which means your outside rushers have one-on-ones. I mean, he just makes so much happen there, and he keeps everybody off their linebackers. So... Watch the tape. Um, you know, he, he was great. Also, Rob Gronkowski, I wrote about him over the weekend. Just what a smart football player he is. 
And, you know, of course, Tom Brady's confidence and, and reliability in him is, you know, next level. I mean, he's played with him for 10, 11 seasons now. But you watch those two audibles, the two touchdowns that he has, and it's, you know, really just Gronk and Tom recognizing cover zero and then checking to him, um, faking like he's blocking down and then going out. It, it was just next level stuff. And, and I know Gronkowski gets a lot of run for sort of his happy-go-lucky attitude and, um, you know, his goofiness and all of this stuff. The fact of the matter is he's a very, very smart football player. Like his IQ, football IQ is enormous, and he works at it. He watches a lot of film, um, obviously works a lot with Tom, has, has worked to get himself back in better shape. Um, I thought he looked great. And for him to come out and have two touchdowns in the first game, catch eight passes out of eight targets, I mean, that's how reliable he was, including – two on the final drive. He went to him twice, one for a six-yarder, one for a 20-yarder uh, right before the pass to Godwin that set up the, the game-winning field goal. So um, I thought those guys uh, were pretty much in sync as well. Yeah, I was worried about, and we've talked about this throughout training camp. We talked about it before the game. Thursday night, the drop passes are still a problem. And yes. we saw, we saw it Godwin. again on Thursday. Godwin yeah. and Fournette and, mm-hmm. and you know, and and that caused several of the turnovers. I mean, you know, yeah. you, you couldn't put the you know the the one to Fournette. You can't put that on Brady. No, um, no. You know, it's his interception, but that wasn't that wasn't him. Godwin with the fumble. Um, yep. You know, those. I mean, it's they've got all these weapons. If you can just if you make the catches and hold the ball, yep. they're going to yep. put up tons of points. You know, they mm-hmm. had to kind of chase that game and, and come down to a last second field goal because they had four turnovers. Right. Um, and some drop passes on top of that. Um, right. So, you, you know, I, I mean, you'd really like to see when they get back to practice this week and, and moving forward that, you know, there's got to be a better emphasis on that. And we've been talking about it all training camp. I mean, Bruce Arians has been mentioning it over and over. It's been a problem, yeah. Um, you, you know, and that's that's one area. You've got all these weapons. Catch the ball. I mean, mm-hmm. they're good enough to. Uh, yeah. You know, and that's just something they're going to have to to deal with and, and get better at or, you know, whether it's a focus issue or, you know, whatever it is, um, they're going to have to figure that part out. It's usually confidence. It's weird. You know, um, Godwin went through his whole career without having dropped the ball that I can remember. And, you know, his target to catch rate was enormous. And then we got in the playoffs. And remember, he struggled at, at Green Bay uh, and then he came back and made a circus catch at Green Bay and helped them win the game. Um and then we really didn't see it after that, but we did see it uh, show up a couple times, you know, last Thursday night, uh, including one that was a deep shot. Now it was over the wrong shoulder. He had to turn around and find it, but it still absolutely hit him in the hands. And he lost that and he lost the fumble, which you absolutely can't do. I mean, if they go in and score that touchdown, this game is not even close, you know, mm-hmm. uh, they win it going away. So, you know, plays like that against, against really good football teams, you lose, you lose. And I'm not saying that I don't know what Dallas is. You know, I, I, Here's what I think about Dallas. I think they have a really good offense. I think that Dak is terrific. He clearly was better than anybody ex- expected him or imagined him to be in his first game out, having not played any preseason, the injury week five last year, 333 days, all of that. But he's got tons of weapons. I mean, you know, Michael Gallup and and Amari Cooper and CeeDee Lamb and those guys, they were fantastic. Although CeeDee Lamb absolutely gator-armed one uh, over the middle that resulted in Carlton Davis's interception that was a huge play that wasn't on Dak. It was just a lack of guts um, by CeeDee Lamb. But um, not every team has those weapons. And, you know, people were like, 
you know, because I, I think they do have a template. I think I think teams are going to attack their perimeter, and why wouldn't you? That's that's the softer spot of their defense. And people were like, well, but not everybody has those receivers. That's true. That's absolutely true. And the Rams had Cooper Cup, and you know they they had a bunch of guys that could do a similar thing. You need you need two or three. Um, and and I don't know, you know, Calvin Ridley. I mean, the, the Falcons still have some guys. We'll we'll see how that all plays itself out. But I do know that they're vulnerable in the secondary. Um, particularly on the perimeter, and they, you know, teams are going to try to slow down that pass rush. You make the big guys run, right? You make the big guys run to the sidelines. You make the little guys have to come up and make tackles. If you can do what they don't want to do, you can have some success. But, again, to your point, it doesn't work in the red zone. When you get down there and the field's short and there's a lot of people in a small space, it doesn't do you much good. Um, and that's probably why they were ineffective you know, trying to score down there, but we'll see. We'll see how they uh, how they take all this information. Who's healthy? Um, that'll be the first thing we find out when we go back and see the players on Tuesday. They're off until Tuesday. We have no access with anybody, but we'll still be writing uh, stories, of course, in the Tampa Bay Times and on TampaBay.com. Meanwhile, uh, let's since we're on the NFL, let's let's do Sunday. We'll go back to college football on Saturday. But how about your New Orleans Saints, right? They're playing the Green Bay Packers. Now, this is a football team that's been displaced uh, by the hurricane in New Orleans. They've been in Dallas, uh, not just the players, but like 250 players, coaches, family members, all of that. Uh, they travel to Jacksonville where they have their first quote-unquote home game. There's way more Packer fans that look like a home Green Bay game, to be honest with you, which we have seen before at Raymond James Stadium. And here comes Aaron Rodgers and the Packers, you know, the NFC runner-ups last year in the championship game. And Jameis Winston's making his first start in, I think they said, 600-and-something days, right? Because his last start in the NFL uh, was the final game of 2019 season uh, when he uh, threw the overtime pick six to Atlanta. Uh, So he sat the bench all of last year behind Drew Brees. I think he threw like 11 or 12 passes all season. Gets his first start, and... You know, I thought at the beginning, Steve, they were playing around the quarterback. You know, Kamara was running the football. Uh, Jameis had some short throws. I think at one point um, he had only thrown for like 94 yards or something into the third quarter. Um, but in the red zone, he was terrific. And, you know, he, the guy winds up throwing five touchdown passes, <laughs> including a bomb, uh, which was beautiful. And the Saints very, I mean, absolutely demolish the Packers by 35 It's the first time that Aaron Rodgers has ever lost a game by that much. Yeah. I think I'd heard uh, too, that the Packers were like six and one the last two years in September. They always get off the yeah. hot starts. Aaron Rodgers performs well yeah. early in the season and boy, they came out and laid a dud uh, and, and, and credit to Jameis too. I mean, and, and Sean Payton, I mean, we've talked about this. We've wanted to see what mm-hmm. Sean Payton could draw up for Jameis to kind of right. keep Jameis from doing Jameis things. You know, right? Uh, always had all the skills in the world, but would make those throws that you can't make, and it result in interceptions. And mm-hmm. you know, can you scheme it enough and put him in positions enough where he doesn't make those throws? And today he was fantastic. He was absolutely terrific. And you know, uh, a couple to the tight ends. I thought I thought that there was a bad roughing the passer call against the Saints that um, gave them a second chance and allowed them to throw another touchdown. But it didn't matter because. Jordan Love was in the game by the middle of the fourth quarter. Um, the Packers, you know, threw the white flag out there, and they were done for the day. They were not competitive at all, offensively or defensively. 
and you know Sean Payton uh, played around his quarterback a little bit. Ran ran Camara, gave him some short throws. Jameis turned down some throws. Like it was interesting. He got back there, uh, didn't have anybody open immediately. He took off and ran a few times. A couple times he just threw the ball out of bounds, and I was impressed with that. Like he has learned, um, you know, to be patient. And as Byron Leftwich told me, you know, sometimes playing quarterback is boring. You know, you just have to accept that. I'm not going to make a big play on every play, and instead of, hey, I, I want to, you know, want this to be juiced up a little. Let me try to take this shot here or there. The best quarterbacks don't do that. You know, they they throw the ball where it's supposed to be thrown, or they throw it out of bounds, and they live to play another day. They're not going to make that big mistake. And he he played a clean game, and that's if Jameis Winston can do that, we know he has talent. He's thrown for five. You don't throw for five thousand yards and thirty three touchdowns in the National Football League if you don't have talent. Those are not mistakes. So we know he has all the talent in the world. And the Saints are the Saints offense is harder to defend because he can he can push the ball downfield. That's something Drew Brees hasn't been able to do for a number of years now. And so you add that with the the focus on stopping Alvin Kamara in that strong running game. They got a good off a very good offensive line. We know their defense is terrific. They're missing some receivers. I mean uh, Michael Thomas and some guys, but Others have stepped up, and that's a good football team. I'm just here to tell you, and I've been saying this. I don't know if people finally will believe me or not. The New Orleans Saints are the defending champions in the NFC South. Guess what, folks? They're going to be the hardest out that the Bucks face all year. I, I truly believe that. I, I, don't, I wouldn't just give this division to Tampa Bay. They didn't win it last year. They won the Super Bowl, and that's what you're after. you know. And they beat them in a game that mattered. They beat them in the NFC Divisional Playoff in New Orleans, that one was the one that really counted, right? But they absolutely got beaten down the other two times they played them, including 38-3 to in Raymond James. And if you think that it's going to be any easier this year, I got something, I got something for you. It's going to be harder, in a sense, because I, I think the emotion that Jameis will play with, the, uh, you know, the better football team that he has around him, and the fact that he can drive the ball against that secondary as opposed to what Breeze could do, which was like, you know, trying to play in a phone booth at times, um, it's gonna. They're gonna be a tough out, and they're gonna win. You know, their share of games. They're gonna win twelve. I think they're gonna win twelve or thirteen games. You know, maybe more. Who knows? But the Saints are gonna be the story in the NFC South this year, along with the Bucks. And we'll just see how those how those games go, and who blinks first, and all of that. Also, I I don't think Carolina is that bad. You know, um, they beat the Jets. They didn't beat a great team. Sam Darnold got revenge on his old team, but I. I was impressed a little bit. You know, Christian McCaffrey is back, and that's, that's their offense, right? That That's the quarterback's best friend. He looked good. Their defense looked good. Uh, Matt Rule's had a couple years now to put in his system um, at Carolina. I think they're going to be better than most people anticipate, you know? So there's, there's some teams in their own division. Now, Atlanta, on the other hand, woof. What happened there? I didn't think the Philadelphia Eagles are a very good football team, and they, they spanked the Falcons. No, it was a thirty-two to six. I mean, you know, and that's yeah. at home. And now you've got to at go home, on the road yeah, for week two against Tampa Bay, who gets a few extra days of rest before that game, too. Right? You yes, know, I mean, exactly. Atlanta's staring zero and two in the face at this point. They are, and Atlanta is the perfect team. Now you recall, you know, when they came off the bye week and they they were trying to regroup and they got down seventeen to nothing in Atlanta right away, and they came back and Brady had that tremendous second half, and they won up there. And it kind of got them going, you know, for the second half of the season or the last quarter of the season, I should say. Um, but Atlanta's the perfect team to play right about now because you need some confidence. You need to play a cleaner game. You need to go out and curb stomp somebody. 
you have a chance to do that with the Falcons. They're not going to lay down and just give you a game. I, I'm, I'm not saying that. I mean, the NFC South is weird, right? Nobody's intimidated by each other. They play each other so much. There's so much familiarity. So the Falcons have always played tough. But if you can go out there and execute well and cut out the penalties, I mean, 11 penalties for 110 yards, I thought we were past that last year, week five in Chicago. All of a sudden they came back. You know, you can't have those th- that many flags and maintain any kind of offense. So if they cut all that out and they have a game to get, get their rhythm back, uh, get a little confidence back, go out there and, and put 35 or so points on the board, if Philly can do it, I assure you the Bucks can, then now you've got a little wind at yourselves. And the next two games, folks, uh, is going to say a lot about who the Bucks are. They've got at Los Angeles against the Rams, who, as we speak, uh, as we're doing this podcast, are, are beating the Bears uh, right now on uh, Sunday night football. And, yes, they look – they're going to be better, I think, with Matthew Stafford than they than they were with Jared Goff. I just believe that with all my heart. And their defense is tremendous, and they got great corners in, in uh, Ramsey and others. So that's going to be a tough out. And then after that, talk about emotion – You've got to go to Foxborough and play the New England Patriots, who lost to the Miami Dolphins at home, which I did not see coming to a, to a tongue of Aloha, um, you know, going up against Mac Jones. Mac Jones played well, not well enough, as it turns out. Uh, in a close game, they lost up there. But there's so much emotion. That's a good football team in New England. So, you know, this, this is a pivotal sort of a trap game. You can't look ahead, um, certainly. But – you you got a chance to get a little rhythm and a little momentum before you play two really good football teams, I think, on the road. Yeah, we'll see how good New England is, but the emotion of that game is going to be what's hard. And not just for Tom Brady, but for Rob Gronkowski as well. Yeah, um, yeah. You, and maybe Antonio Brown, you know, his return from one game playing up there. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, I think that the jury's still out on how good New England will be. In Mac. Mac Jones played well, uh, but I think the Rams are – Really good. I think Matthew Stafford just takes that team to another level. Um, yeah. You know, it, it's uh, like I said, they're up, I think, what, by two scores as we're watching it now, as we're recording this on Sunday Night Football. It's down so. to one score at this point. Oh, Justin okay. Field scored. No, I think so you're ahead I'll of me. Give you the update. I think you're ahead. Yeah, along. you're ahead of me. <laughs> <laughs> I think the, the, I'm guessing they're scoring on this play, then that's showing up on my TV. So um, There you go. Yeah. yeah. The joys of streaming games. You're a little behind everybody else, so. Uh, yep, there's the score. So, exactly. um, but yeah, you know, I, I think that the next two weeks, and you know, you're going to have the LA, which is going to be the big four o'clock game nationwide, and then of course that's Sunday night football up in New England. So, um, I think if you get through, you know, the next basically, if you're three and one by the time you get through the first four games, I think you're fine. If it's Tampa Bay. Yeah, no, I would agree with you. Uh, but there were there were some interesting close games. Your Bengals, your Cincinnati Bengals, try to give one away. They won in overtime, twenty-seven twenty-four over the Vikings. I'm always one that says coaches that should be um, more aggressive, but the Bengals had a fourth and one on their own thirty-ish, somewhere around that range, with six minutes to go in the third yeah. quarter, up two scores, and you had all the momentum in the game, and you went mm-hmm. for it, and you missed it, and it gave Minnesota went and scored right away, and all of a sudden it gave all the momentum back to Minnesota. Um, you ended up holding on, going to overtime and winning, but I, I didn't quite understand that play call. But it ends up working out in the end. So, yeah. And then uh, the other uh, big game, of course, Kansas City, the Chiefs. Patrick Mahomes has never lost in the month of September, and he still hasn't lost, even though he trailed the Cleveland Browns until they made the cataclysmic dropped the punt snap mistake <laughs> to give him the ball back. 
and allow Mahomes and uh, and the Chiefs to take the lead, and then uh, kind of a bad decision by Baker Mayfield under duress throws an interception as they're driving and ends the game. So uh, that was a tough one. But uh, how about yeah, the Houston Texans so, leading the uh, AFC South? How about that? I mean, yeah. how about the Colts? Uh, the Colts lost at home, right? I believe they play yeah to Seattle, and then the yeah. Titans got just rolled by the Cardinals at home. That was the biggest shock of the day to me. Um, I like Kyler Murray. I like the Titans. I didn't see Chandler Jones getting five, five sacks in one game. But the Titans were not competitive. I mean, they're at home. I saw this team go up against the Bucks in practice, and they're very physical. They're like Vrabel that way. But Derrick Henry couldn't even be a factor because they fell behind so quickly. And Kyler Murray just bombed that defense like nobody's business, man. That was a shock to me how yeah, that, easily they won that game. That one was, and Pittsburgh beating Buffalo was a little bit of a shock. I mean, I you know, I mean, I that think was. Pittsburgh's a good team, but I, I you know, assume Buffalo at home was going to win that game, and and th- them going down, uh, that was a little shocking too. Yeah, pump the brakes a little bit on your Josh Allen's the MVP in the AFC. I mean, you know, he did some nice things. He didn't do enough good things. You know, he'll run on occasion. Uh, he he made some some good throws. He made some bad throws, and. They didn't put up any points against that Pittsburgh defense. I think is better than most people realize. Um, obviously, T.J. Watt is just unbelievable. I mean, the pressure that they put on Allen was terrific. But Buffalo has a good defense, and yeah, I credit Big Ben for hanging in there. Um, they ran the ball well. They did what they had to do, and they came from ten points down. I think it was, and one going away. So a nice win for Mike Tomlin. Of course, Pittsburgh started out ten and zero last year, but I think this team's better because Najee Harris can run the football. They've got a good running back. They seem more committed to the run, which is absolutely going to help Ben. And Ben did what Ben does. He made some clutch throws and some big moments, and and they wind up winning the football game at Buffalo, which could go a long ways in playoff scenarios and everything else for home field. And so, uh, just good matchups all through the day. I thought it was thought it was a very interesting day uh, in the NFL on Sunday. We got the Monday night game. Of course, between the Ravens are at Los Angeles. My friend John Gruden. Las Vegas, not Los Angeles. Las Vegas, not Los Angeles. I'm watching Los Angeles. Too many Los Angeles teams. Uh, Las Vegas Raiders, so that'll be fun to watch. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. Like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on LinkedIn.com slash achieve today. So yeah, we've uh, good NFL action, but good college action on Saturday. Well, some of it was good. Although some of it was good and some of it, woof. Where do you want to start? Should we start with Florida USF since that game was played in Tampa? Yeah, I think I think so, and I, I think there's some positives for USF to take out of the game. I mean, you know, they weren't going to win that game. Uh, right. Florida's got too much talent, and USF's still rebuilding. But you know, they and Jeff Scott even said this after the game. He goes, "I think you know you're going to look at the second half of this game when we started to turn it around." Um, and I, I think you saw some, you know, some some improvements and some. Um, you know, some positive momentum coming out of that game. I mean, you know, like I said, you were never going to win that game. That wasn't, you know, what you were hoping to – I mean, you were hoping to to win it, but, 
you know, realistically, it was about, okay, we've played at North Carolina State and now Florida at home, which was practically a home game for Florida. And, you know, we need to, we need to right. make sure that that's preparing us for what the, what the American's going to give us this year. And, and you know, the, when you start playing the teams like UCF and, and you know, Houston and Cincinnati and that. So, um, you know, that's what you hope these first two games were preparing you for. And I think you saw some positive things come out of that game for USF. Well, on the other hand, um, there's a big game in Gainesville next weekend. Alabama comes to Florida. And my question is, and I think I know the answer. I mean, I know who he's going to start at quarterback. I'm not sure it's the guy he should start. They've got it. They've got, let's just say Emory Jones, okay, has been the starter. Dan Mullen maintains. I don't know why you keep asking who's the starter. He's our guy. Um, but listen, he's thrown a couple interceptions in each game, okay? And Anthony Richardson, for my money, is special. Like, and, and I don't, like some of the plays he makes, apparently, like he's doing some unconventional things, maybe not following the script of the offense at times. He's such a superior athlete. But all the dude does is make plays. Like, whether it's his arm or, or his legs, he just is special. And if I'm going to try to beat Alabama, I need special. Uh, I know they're both going to play. I would I would play Richardson as much as I possibly could. Now, he kind of pulled up a hamstring a little bit on one of his touchdown runs. But you look at the production you've gotten from this guy, it, it's sort of, you know, he's got four touchdowns of at least 41 yards. <laughs> so... He's the most exciting guy that we've seen since a guy named Tim Tebow. Uh, he's really he's really just at a different level. Uh, maybe not as polished, like I said. Maybe we don't know the intricacies of getting in and out of the huddle that he should be doing. But man, what a what a what a talent that they have in that guy. I, I so, have to assume that it's it's about protecting him and and easing him along. I mean, you know, he got action against FAU and he's he's played against USF and he's looked great. But yeah. I wonder if they're just you know, they know him better. They know their team, they know their guys. You wonder if it's just kind of protecting him a little bit from your first SEC conference game is going to be Alabama in week 3. Which is a and which that, is a big task, right? I right. mean that you're going to see some things that might even get every Jones some trouble, but to go up to the line of scrimmage and not know what mm-hmm. your what picture you're looking at against Nick Saban. Right? Well, and it's going to be pick your spots in that game where he's going to come in and, and do things and he's going to play. But the yeah. pressure of starting, the, the 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 mindset that you have to go in with it, everything about it. I mean, you know, sometimes we forget these are 18, 19, 20-year-old kids too. Yeah. Um, yeah. you know, they're not polished pros that, you know, go in and and they, you know, come under center and nothing phases them. That's, you know, this yeah. is college and this is part of the the growth of college and, and as a as an athlete, particularly a quarterback, that you know, if you've got someone like Emory Jones who you like and is your guy, you can kind of ease him along. I mean, you know, what is Chicago doing with Justin Fields this year? You know, right now they're starting Andy Dalton. Um, and Justin Fields playing right. some, but you know, it's it's you know, and, and you know, Andy Dalton is an experienced quarterback, so you've got a good defense in Chicago. You know, you went with the experienced quarterback, but you're also kind of protecting Justin and, and easing him along and, and putting him in positions to succeed instead of just, it's your show now, you know, you, you take us and lead us. Yeah. You know, you, if you can protect him, sometimes that's the better play. Yeah, because I think when you turn to somebody like that, you got to turn to him for good. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't, we've talked about this in baseball, but I think that's one of those positions where 
if he's going to be your starter, then he has to be in a position to continue on as the starter. You don't want to go back and forth. Um, you want to make sure he has enough experience to, to handle all that he's going to see in the SEC. And if he's just not there yet, there's no rush to play him. But, man, uh, the temptation must be great for Mullen to put him in the game because all he does, as he used to say about Chris Carter, all he does is score touchdowns. All, all Richardson does is score touchdowns. I mean, big plays, huge plays, whether they're runs or passes. He's a terrific thrower um, and just a unbelievable athlete. So I like him better. I think he's going to wind up being their guy. I don't know how soon that will happen. I know they're both going to play. Um, Alabama will have to prepare for both. That's going to be a fun game. I don't know how good Florida's defense. I don't know how good Florida is. You know, I just haven't quite put my. Well, I mean, I, they've played you know, FAU and USF, so we don't know yet. Yeah, it's just you can't tell. You know what I mean? We've seen we've seen Alabama against Clemson, so we kind of, you know, we I'm not Clemson. Uh, we saw who did Alabama start with? My bad. It was Clemson and Georgia. They played Alabama Miami. Open with. Miami and they beat the living snot out of them. Although it turns out, I don't think Miami's very good. Um, but at least it was Miami. Uh, I, you know, I would think Miami's better than USF and, you know, certainly better than FAU. So it's a little better test. Um, but the games in Gainesville, they'll have a big crowd there. Alabama travels well too, but I I think, I think it's going to be just an unbelievable atmosphere and it might not be the only time they play Alabama. If, if, Florida can win their division, beat Georgia, win their side of the division. I'll see them again in the SEC title game. So this might just be one of two. But early, early, uh, great college matchup there in Gainesville next Saturday. Meanwhile, Florida State, folks, you're going the wrong way. Um, I don't even think it's a question. This is the worst loss since Florida State became relevant again under Bobby Bowden. This is the worst loss that the Seminoles have suffered at home for sure and probably ever. Just when you thought they were getting back to relevance. Yeah. You know, I mean, they, they Notre Dame, they played. They were down late. They came back and tied it, sent it to overtime. Um, you, you know, you had Mackenzie Milton just come back in there. Uh, you just had so many positive vibes coming out of that game, even though they lost to Notre Dame. And, and, you know, they said themselves, we're not taking moral victories. But for a program that's been down for a while, you saw a lot of positives that you could say, hey, we can start building on this. Absolutely, and then to go lose, you know, at home to Jacksonville State the next week. The way they lost, well, that that, that I mean, too. I mean, that was just you know horrible defense on that play. Either take the man or the ball. You got to, but you got to pick one. <laughs> take somebody. <laughs> Fifty-nine yard touchdown pass to Jacksonville State receiver Damon Philaw Johnson in his little bob and weave. Uh, I think he caught it about the ten yard line. Uh, might have gotten one block. There's about four Seminole defenders. Nobody laid a finger on him, and he walked in the end zone. And they win as the clock expires, 20-17. to 17. I'll give it, you know, to Mike Norvell. He he put it on his shoulders, and where else would it belong, right? Um, he said it's 100% on me. We didn't get our guys prepared. It's embarrassing. Um, you know, Mackenzie Milton started and played the game. But there was a lot of mistakes, a lot of penalties. And then, of course, defensively, you know, I don't know what, what the last defense was supposed to be, but it wasn't good. And, yeah, that's that's a – well, it's the worst loss that the, the Seminoles have had to a team, you know, from that division of college football. Um, it was terrible. So – you got nowhere to go but up. I guess that's the good thing, especially coming off that well, game you against hope. Notre Dame. 
Well, that's true. They go to Wake Forest, um, and they're trying to avoid an 0-3 start for the first time since 1976, if that tells you anything about where they're at as a program. So, yeah, look out below. There's there's not much bottom left for the uh, for the Seminoles to find, but we'll see. After rallying from 18 points down, you know, to force overtime a week ago, um, they they get beat at home by Jacksonville State, which should never happen. They, they, Jacksonville State, God bless them, they got paid, they took the check, but those kids, uh, very few, if any, probably belong on that same football field with the Florida State Seminole players, and yet they walked out of there with a win. So that was quite impressive. So if you got any questions, and why wouldn't you, right, uh, on college football, the NFL, which we just talked about, or for that matter on the Tampa Bay Rays, we're going to get to here in just a second. Um, we're going to do a mailbag segment tomorrow. I haven't done that in a while. So send us your questions. You can do that very easily on Twitter. At, just send them to at SportsDayTB. You can reach me on Twitter at NFL Stroud. Or my email address is rstroud at tampabay.com. Bring us anything. All questions are answered 100% correctly. We'll be happy to use them for you on the podcast and answer them there. So uh, speaking of the Rays, I didn't get a chance to watch a lot of Rays baseball. I did see what I think is the worst outcome in baseball, the walk-off walk. There can't be anything more dispiriting than a walk-off walk. Particularly when you walk several guys before that. It, right, it drives exactly. me nuts when relievers come in the game and just throw ball after ball. It just drives me nuts that. And you, I mean, if you're going to get you beat, just if, they, know if they're going to hit it, fine, let them hit it. But when you just walk guys, it just drives yeah. me nuts. Yeah, especially when you know, like when you load the bases, like when you walk that last guy, and now you push a guy to third, and and it's you know, there's nowhere to put him, so to speak. You just know that the, the pressure is all on the pitcher at that point. You know. Guys can sit back, and there were some close strikes. Was it was it JP Fireisen? I think that was on the mound. Yeah, in the eleventh. Yes, yep. I'm not sure, but yeah, and you know, of course, the Rays blew a couple of leads before that that were, you know, shouldn't have gotten to that point. To be honest with you, and we talked about we talked about this a little bit before the podcast. This is not they're clearly trying to manage some innings here because they are not necessarily throwing out their A bullpen when they get leads these days. Yeah, I was talking with Neil Solance on Sunday, and who's the Rays radio pre- and post-game host. And it's interesting how they're managing their bullpen here. I mean, Colin McHugh hasn't pitched in, what, six days? Now he's going to start tonight in Toronto. Uh, They didn't use Pete Fairbanks at all in the Detroit series. I think they're saving him for the Toronto series. Right. But the Nick bullpen, Anderson is available now. Yeah, Nick Anderson. He he was activated on Sunday. He didn't pitch, so presumably he's going to pitch in this in this mm-hmm. Blue Jay series. But yeah. their bullpen right now is struggling, and it's in one particular area. They're struggling to get left-handers out. Now, when you go up against the Yankees, the Red Sox, the Blue Jays, those are right-handed dominant lineups. But you start facing mm-hmm. the Astros. Um, the White Sox have some dangerous left-handers. Um, you know, those are the teams you kind of worry about. Seattle has some left-handers you worry about. Um, you know, right now they're struggling to get – and they don't have a lot of left-handed arms in that bullpen. Uh, we were going through, you know, all the, the lefties that are hurt on this team. Um, you know, from Colin Pochet to Oliver Drake, who's a right-hander, but actually gets left-handers out better. Um, 
Mm-hmm. You know, we just you go through the lefties on this uh, on, that they have, and almost all of them are on the the IL at this point. Uh, many out for the season, and so you kind of wonder, you know, when they get to the playoffs, assuming they still get there. But obviously, the numbers look pretty good. Uh, you know how mm-hmm. when they if they face a team that's got a lot of lefties in it, it's going to be, you know, how are they going to match that up? You know, I, I think, like I said, the AL East teams, I think they do fairly well against because there's a lot of righties in those lineups. But some of the other teams, yeah. it's going to be interesting how they manage it because right now they're struggling to get left-handers out. Yeah, that's going to be tough. And uh, like I said, um, you know, Louis Patino, okay. Um, you know, hopefully you get McClanahan back off the IL. I don't know who your third starter necessarily will be. My, I guess – Probably Drew Rasmussen at this point. Probably probably Rasmussen, yeah. They built him up, and he's done well. So Mm -hmm. nothing against any of these guys. It's just that you're obviously going to have to rely on your bullpen more than you have in the past, I think. And that being said, it just takes one guy. You know, it just takes one guy to not be on his game, and everybody else could could do their job and go out there and get, you know, three up, three down. Um, If you get in enough trouble with one one dude on, on any given night, you know these games are going to be tight. I don't think they're going to bash people eight to one. I don't, I don't think they're going to do that. Uh, clearly, their offense is way way better than it's been. Um, so you know, almost everybody has to be on it every single night. And maybe postseason baseball will do that. And maybe they'll have the full complement of their A bullpen, and and they'll be able to mat, mix and match. And Kevin Cash will be able to put guys in the right positions, and they'll cruise through it. But it doesn't seem to me that everybody's going to be on every single night. And I just think it's tough if you're only getting four innings. Uh, maybe five. You know, now you got Archer uh, had hip stiffness the other night, so you know he's back to uh, to being iffy. You, know, you wonder, you wonder of, if he's done as a right. Well, probably is right. Mm-hmm. I mean, what, what can you? There's no way you can put him out there and expect much, right? Like, am I going to get two innings tonight? Am I going to get one? It's the same injury that's been bothering him. Um, it's not as if it's getting better. So I think he probably he's not one. He's not. You're not going to go into it saying, "Well, we can count on Chris Archer," because you can't. There's just nothing, you know, nothing that would say he's going to stay healthy. So, um, I don't know. I mean, they're good shape as far as winning the division. Clearly, really good shape as far as making the playoffs. But after that, I, I, I don't know how it's going to. I don't know how it's going to set up. And then Wander Franco. Now, we haven't talked about him. Mm-hmm. He had a little bit of tweak of a hamstring. They think they'll get him back by the end of the regular season. But you certainly need a guy like that, as hot as he was. Um, as much as he means to your offense. Well, Dave you know, Wells that, was talking a... on Sunday that, you know, as much as Nelson Cruz gets credit for, you know, the Rays offense really took off when he, you know, around the time that they traded for Nelson Cruz. And, and rightfully so, I think, you know, he lengthens that lineup and adds a lot of protection for guys. But that's also about the time Wander Franco started figuring it out and wasn't, you know, wasn't striking out and was, you know, starting that streak of, it was, yeah, I think 39, 38, 39 games right now. It's, the streak's still going. He's just hurt right now. Um, but, you know, getting those, you know, productive at-bats and not striking out and putting the ball in play and and going deep in the counts, as Wander does, um, you know, that really helped the lineup yeah. too. And, and you know, I, I think the Rays are going to miss that for the last, you know, 19 games down the stretch here or however long he's out for. Um, and, and, you know, you'd need him back for the playoffs. Yeah, he was our he was our hottest hitter, I think, and you know, I I'm also one that believes that it's not a coincidence that when they got Nelson Cruz, I think at the time, 
Wander was in or just coming out of an 0 for 18. And I think those bus rides, those plane rides, uh, the long dock talks in the dugout, guy like that can settle a young player down, <laughs> you know. Uh, I've been at it 20 years, pal. You know, here's how you got to handle stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe that helps some too. But yeah, Wander was swinging a great bat. Uh, obviously, he's you know a factor when he gets on the bases, and the, their lineup is not nearly as potent without him uh, than it was with him. Switch hitter, on top of that. So yeah, um, the, he's missed, and they absolutely want to take their time, make sure he's back. Uh, you know, for the postseason, as healthy as he can be. So I don't think it's a serious thing, but I, it, hamstrings are funny. You know, you don't. The last thing you want to do is come back too soon. You can re-injure that and then be gone for a long time. They def, absolutely got to have him in October for the postseason. So it's a it's a funny time for the race because I think they realize they have a pretty comfortable lead. You know, Toronto. There's some battles going on for the wild card, obviously between the Red Sox and and the Yankees, and even for well, as, matter, as we stand now, mathematical hopes. As we stand now, the Yankees are playing on Sunday night baseball. They're trailing. If they lose tonight, they will be a game out of the wild card. That Toronto has passed them now. Mm. Now the Rays are in Toronto for wow. three, so it's going to be very interesting. But it's right now it's yeah. the Red Sox and Blue Jays in the wild card game. If the playoffs started today, assuming the Yankees do wow. lose tonight, and they're trailing tonight as we record this. That's fascinating. Well, Toronto's playing the best of either of those teams right now, and we'll see if the you know if the race can slow them a bit because it would certainly be to their to their benefit. I don't know what the magic number is; they probably have one, but uh, we got to be eking a little bit closer. It's to eleven it, uh, as they go forward here. It's eleven. Okay, no, uh, makes sense. Makes sense. I mean, still a phenomenal year. They're still waiting. I think for their ninetieth win, they got eighty nine on the season, I believe. So still on pace, they could win. Well, they could win 100 games still, which is just remarkable to think of. So it was a busy weekend, uh, needless to say. A lot of football. We'll be getting you guys ready all week long for the Bucks and the Atlanta Falcons, that game at Raymond James Stadium. Full crowd expected once again. Maybe not the national TV audience and certainly not Al Michaels and Chris Collinsworth, but nonetheless, a nice, warm, toasty afternoon game is nice, especially for writers on deadline. So the Rays continue on their road trip. They're against the Blue Jays only this time in Toronto. Yes, they, this will be the third ballpark they have played Toronto on the road this year. They've played in Dunedin. They played a series in Buffalo and now a series in Toronto. It's just remarkable. I, I, I credit the Blue Jays for navigating all this COVID stuff because it's not comfortable uh, for you to have a home away from home which is no home at all, but they are back finally uh, finally in Toronto. So make sure you submit your mailbag questions. We're going to do that tomorrow. As I said, you can uh, send those to us on Twitter at SportsDayTV. Reach me on Twitter at NFL Stroud, or my email address is rstroud at tampabay.com. Check out tampabay.com and the Tampa Bay Times for all the Bucks, the Rays, the Bolts, and college football, of course, as always. For Steve Verstick, I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times. Great day, everybody. 